Hey guys, it's me, Manila, and today I'm going to be doing another episode. Yay! It has been July, my media exams are now over, and I have a tiny break where I can make an episode. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I really want to start covering content. So I'm really glad this is the first episode we're going to actually like go into um geography in particular physical geography now in the previous episode i did actually talk that i wanted to do like cast topography um but then the more i thought about it the more i realized it's going to be very difficult to explain um a lot of physical geographical stuff such as formations uh, topography and all of that uh, without trying to explain the basics just like every game just like every discipline every subject every sport you need to know the rules you need to know the fundamentals and the basics so i thought you know what we're going to go on a clean slate and i want to build up your knowledge from the ground up and i decided that i also don't want to make it stretch so long that until you want to cry and feels like you're studying geography in university so i've looked through I had decided to arrange a very simple way of breaking down the fundamentals into this uh three segments which I decided to call the holy trinity. These are the three basic fundamentals of physical geography that you need in order to understand almost anything in physical geography. So, I think we are going to do this holy trinity first before I move into other stuff such as cast topography and other formations uh, that you see on earth which is very cool. So, I'm very excited to talk about this because I'm a person who's excited to talk about anything that's related to geography, almost anything. There's some stuff I really don't like. <laughs> But that's why we are going to do a three episode basics crash course but it's still going to be a switch between human and physical geography so the holy trinity will happen like you know uh this episode and then the next next episode the next episode i'm going to go into human geography where i'm going to talk about time periods which is also going to be very important in terms of setting your fundamentals and understanding geography Also I actually got a lot of feedback from you guys that I'm speaking very soft. So I'm trying to like speak much louder now and if it's not loud enough yet please let me know cuz I'm trying to speak as loud as I can without sounding like I'm shouting at you. So I hope this is loud enough now. Okay. So this whole trinity that I'm going to be covering are winds, plate tectonics and energy balance these are the three basic things you need to know so that everything else that i explain to you from here onwards will make more sense to you and i hope that you know you won't feel weirded out or like overwhelmed with content when i'm trying to go through this because i'm going to i'm going to try my best to go as slow as i can and to break it down to make it as simple as i can but also that means it does take up more time and it's not going to be that sort of professional geographical knowledge that you get online 
so today we are going to do energy balances and it has a little bit of like space and astronomy involved so it's gonna be really fun actually if you think about it um okay so for energy balance i want to first start talking about space and in space we are talking not just about earth we are talking about the sun and the solar system but the important area obviously is the earth since we're talking about geography but i want to focus on understanding um the relationship between earth and the sun and the reason why this is so important in understanding geography is because you will realize that the way the earth interacts with the sun affects the way things occur on earth itself and that starts from the earth's orbit now a lot of people think that earth's orbit is very simple in terms of just moving around the sun but there are a lot of different factors that go into it and uh, that is going to be covered in the section of understanding a particular theory but i'm going to talk more on the different phases of the earth's orbit so we all know that basically the earth is tilted on its axis it's not like a perfect sort of upright ball even though at any angle it's still a ball but it is tilted on its axis for a reason meaning the poles are not exactly perpendicular to the axis like they're not on the axis itself same thing with the equator it is not uh, perpendicular to the axis it's actually tilted and that also affects the way the earth moves and that's where you get these certain words that I'm sure you have heard of in your life before but you have never actually um, understood it and those are equinoxes and solstices I'm sure you have definitely heard of the word equinox before you know if it's from some random Hollywood movie that you've been watching but I don't think you actually fully understand what an equinox is and I want to try to explain it to you an equinox basically is a transition period that's how you can think of where the sun's uh, incoming solar radiation is equal in both hemisphere so we're going to talk about this particular phrase called incoming solar radiation and obviously geographers over time find out that it is very annoying to keep saying incoming solar radiation every time you want to sound cool and say something so basically there is this phrase that's going to be used very often called insulation which is basically a portmanteau of incoming solar radiation that is our way of being lazy bringing things together so that we don't need to say incoming solar radiation every five seconds it's insulation so these equinoxes are basically periods where insulation uh, basically from the sun is equal in both the northern and southern hemisphere and that happens um, at the 12 o'clock position and the 6 o'clock position how the hell does the clock look like wait let me see you know a normal clock it has like the 12 o'clock position and the 6 o'clock position that's this basically how the sun is sun and earth um, cycle looks like the sun is in the middle the earth is vertically on top or vertically on the bottom that's when your equinoxes occur and the dates are actually during spring 
and during autumn there's a reason why during spring you have a lot of these beautiful flowers blooming there's a lot of sunlight it looks beautiful because of the fact that it is exactly very near to the sun during this time uh you can see they're in march and they're in september that's how kind of it works and that's when you move into a second phase which you call solstices solstice uh, is basically when there is more insulation in one hemisphere than the other and that's when you get two solstices the summer solstice that happens in june so it moves from your march equinox into a summer solstice in june where there is more solar radiation in the northern hemisphere than in the southern hemisphere and that sort of imbalance kind of creates a beautiful trigger of events and phenomena on earth and when it orbits it goes into your autumn equinox which is in september and finally goes into the final stage the winter solstice in december just like how you see in game of thrones and this is when your insulation is greater in the southern hemisphere so this causes this differing areas of effect kind of helps you explain why time zones they differ between different places on earth because of the fact that the earth is constantly moving it also explains to you uh, a very important understanding because every time i think we think about basic understanding of geography or understanding of physics on its own that the equator is the shortest distance to the sun and i think this is something we all do know that the equator is right smack in the middle called 0 degrees north south is in the middle and it is theoretically the shortest distance to the sun so basically the most amount of insulation is there on the equator itself but because of the fact that there is this orbit you have this equinoxes and this solstices where you realize even if there is a lot of insulation as or uh, theoretically the most amount of insulation in this band because it is the nearest you realize that it's uh, in practice it's not the same because you have insulation suddenly going up more towards the northern hemisphere in june and then more towards the southern hemisphere in december so this idea of a balance is now gone and that's where the idea or the theory of energy balance comes into play and before we hit into this theory of energy balance i also want to talk about another thing that affects this energy balance when uh, that affects this earth's orbit This is a very important theory which uh I want to first itself like warn you that this theory has not it's not um been 100% supported there has been a lot of criticisms towards it there have been geographers who come forward to think that this theory doesn't hold but so far in terms of understanding the rules of the earth we are doing it in terms of us as humans what are the rules we think it is from observation hypothesis experiments over time and space but that doesn't mean it holds true to the earth they they're going to follow whatever they want they want to follow we are just going to be the people who merely study it 
and try our best to kind of you know decipher beyond Dan Brown and try to figure out what's happening with the earth so this is one theory I think it's, it's a very valid theory because of the amount of evidence there is to support it as well as the fact that it is a it makes a lot of sense the more you study it and you realize that it plays a huge role in understanding a lot of theories so this theory is called the milankovic cycle obviously done by the great master called milankovic these days i feel like everything you find out you have to put your name on it just in case just in case someone's gonna steal your work they know it's your work only so basically this milankovic cycle is a theory based on the changes in three factors of the earth it is called eccentricity precision and the axial tilt these factors vary in a regular and predictable way and it's not due to the changes in the total amount of solar energy reaching the earth but impacts the seasonality and the location of solar energy around the earth thus it uh, gives you an understanding on the different seasonal changes that you see on earth itself throughout time and space these three factors that i'm talking about is um eccentricity precision and exotil eccentricity uh basically is about how round is the earth's orbit around the sun we always believe the earth is just going around the sun every single 365 days we celebrate a new year that's the end of the world no the fact that even it are orbiting around the sun actually differs quite a bit it differs in terms of the shape so there are phases where it is a less elliptical uh, which means it is more round it looks more like a circle around the sun and there are times where it's more elliptical elliptical this is so difficult to say elliptical so um it, when it's more elliptical basically it looks more of like a oval rather than a circle and you might think how does the shape of it moving around the sun actually affect anything uh it actually does because it talks about the variations in the interactions with the gravitational forces of the nearby planets Jupiter and Saturn according to Milankovitch it takes about 100,000 years to go from your normal circle shape to a uh, oval shape which is called um from more elliptical to less elliptical or to higher eccentricity to lower eccentricity now currently where we are living in at the time zone we are living in it is we are at a low il- eccentricity so the sun is kind of uh, the earth is kind of in a more circular motion in its orbit around the sun and in 100,000 years it's going to be more of like a oval this actually affects this um particular jargon i'm going to use called the aphelion and the perihelion 
the epihelion and perihelion are basically the furthest uh the epihelion is the furthest distance between the sun and the earth when it's orbiting and the perihelion is just the shortest distance so because it's a oval or if it's a circle doesn't mean that the sun is a right smack in the middle of it so it can kind of be a little skewed you know when you're hula hooping your waist is not exactly in the middle of the hula hoop when it's spinning around it's the same so it's more of like the earth is kind of drunk it's trying to go around in a circle but it's failing at its job so the sun's center position changes and that affects the seasonality in your in the atmosphere and in terms of the insulation that is received on earth now the next part uh, in the theory is the axial tilt so we all know what the axial tilt is is the fact that the earth is not on this perfect axis that we draw on the earth itself and uh, it, you can say this is you know defined as the inclination of the earth's axis in relation to its plane of orbit around the sun very chim but it's very uh, but basically it's just trying to say how tilted and drunk the earth looks these oscillations in the degree of earth's axial tilt occurs in a particular periodicity once again what does that mean basically it means that even if your earth is tilted on its axis it is moving this tilt is moving so it's at a different angle of tilt every 40,000 years and it varies from 21.5 degrees to 24.5 degrees this might seem like a very small difference at start you know only like what 3 degrees difference but it matters a lot in terms of uh seasonality and the reason why is i want you to think about the poles of the earth you know north pole and antarctica south pole and if you think about it they are not exactly on your axis itself they are a little bit towards the right or a little bit towards the left of this axis so if your earth is moving a little bit more you know pointing towards another star and it is 3 degrees further than before your entire north pole is now in a different location where it gets more sunlight where it gets more uh, exposure and that affects the temperature and other factors that shape the place of north pole or the place of south pole and that essentially affects the entire earth because every small thing affects us so This actually results in certain phenomena of a warmer winter of a cooler summer due to the severity of the earth's seasonal change. Now, with a less axial tilt, the sun's solar radiation is more evenly distributed between winter and summer. And that is the period we are at currently. And basically that's about it for axial tilt. And the third factor that affects that's in Milankovitch's cycle and his belief of what you know affects the uh, seasonality or the change of temperature on earth is precession and precession is not the precession band they're thinking about no it's precession it is the uh, the most difficult concept to grasp or to visualize but basically it is the earth wobbling on its own axis 
so like i said once again you imagine the earth as this drunk person who cannot walk in circles who cannot stand straight and now you have to remember that the earth is always spinning around it's spinning around like a lunatic and even when it's spinning around it's not spinning around perfect it's wobbling as it spins around just like a drunk person trying to dance in the club but he's wobbling you know he's shaky he looks like he's about to fall down and die that is basically what's happening to the earth and that is the earth's slow wobble and this change in the point of the earth's orbit when it's the closest to the sun basically your perihelion uh gives about also different changes in terms of your seasonal contrasts and that is when you get a lot of space things happening because when it's wobbling it is uh in a, it's pointing to a different direction uh all the time so there are two main direction it goes to whenever it points towards the north star because we take it from the north and the north is the highest point on earth all the time so we always take it from the earth is wobbling where is it pointing to in the north star and there are two stars that contest for the north star one is the polaris star and another is the vega star so when the earth is wobbling is either moving towards and looking at your polaris star and in a period of 23000 years it moves towards and looks at your vega star so this kind of a cycle of it moving from looking at one star to looking at another star it happens every 23000 years between the polaris and the vega and whichever it points at that becomes the north star for 23000 years currently the north star is the polaris that we are looking at and you know i don't know i think in about 2000 years is going to become vega let's hope we live to see that time so basically that's about it in terms of understanding the milankovitch cycle i hope i'm not confusing you when i try to explain this because uh just remember it's just a theory to kind of understand the change in temperature and the seasonality on earth and this theory uh is very difficult to grasp or to uh believe in because it happens in such a long period 40000 years 23000 years who the hell is even alive that long to know that basically milankovitch believes that it does happen under such big uh age gaps that's why it's very difficult for us to see it and things that we cannot see immediately we find it difficult to believe it's just you know a fact of life but i think it is very believable there is there has been proof in terms of like historical evidences which i can go through in the next episode when we're talking about time periods because this milankovitch cycle is going to play a very big part in trying to understand that okay so now that we have covered the understanding that okay earth goes around the sun it's not perfect in its part because it is a piece of drunk thing and when it does that you know that the insulation that is being received by the earth from the sun is not perfect we are we are not getting the same amount of insulation all the time and we're not getting it in an even distribution because all about geography the best phrase to describe geography is uneven distribution everything 
geography just talks about the uneven distribution of anything and everything so here we are talking about the uneven distribution of insulation across earth and that is where the important concept of the energy balance comes into play the energy balance is basically like a equation of the amount of energy that is uh, on earth currently from all the insulation that is receiving obviously from you know common sense hopefully that you realize that the amount of insulation that is received in one area is a lot more than the other and you know even the earth realizes that and the earth is always trying to uh, be in a sort of balance in terms of trying to evenly distribute this insulation across space so the Earth's atmosphere energy system naturally balances itself in a steady state equilibrium. The natural energy balance occurs through energy transfers that are both non-radiative and radiative. And basically it's just talking about whether it's through infrared radiation between the surfaces or through other matters such as convection, conduction, and evaporation. That is your non-radiative. The heated Earth's surface emits terrestrial radiation, which belongs to the long-wave spectrum of radiation. There's a lot of physics involved here, basically. And basically, that's a part of understanding insulation. And that's where you also get into the understanding of the energy balance budget requires a concept of understanding net radiation. And net radiation refers to the balance of all incoming and outgoing radiation at the Earth's surface. It, uh, basically, you can think about the formula as net shortwave radiation plus net longwave radiation, where it talks about, you know, uh, it's not very complex, but it just uh, tries to balance off all the reflection of radiation that you get from mirrors, solar panels, all the, all the dumb stuff you see on Earth, most probably that, and absorption of energy. So we have now talked and understood that insulation is going on Earth and it's not going on Earth uh, spread evenly. You know, it's the same thing as trying to put peanut butter onto a bread. You don't put it on the perfect uh, spread on the bread the first time you put it. It's going to be one blob on your bread and then you're going to use the knife to, you know, kind of slowly spread it around and evenly spread it. That's kind of the way you can think of this as. So you know there's this huge plop of insulation that is concentrated straight onto the equator because that's the... That's like the most amount of insulation it can get, as it is once again, like I said, the shortest distance to the Earth. And the least amount of radiation hits all the way to the poles, because it's such a long distance and not a lot of people are that healthy or... Even insulation just like us, they don't want to travel far, ever. So, we're going to talk about how insulation travels, because we kept talking about this... Uh, solar radiation it comes from the sun we all know it comes from the sun but what is this radiative and non-radiative transfer and that goes in terms of how it is spread it is spread through certain methods one is called scattering called diffused radiation 
where insulation encounters an increasing density of atmospheric gases as it travels towards the surface and when these gas molecules absorb and re-emit the radiation changing the direction of the light's movement without altering its wavelengths. What did I basically just say is that when your insulation goes onto a cloud, for example, because of the cloud having its own gas molecules absorbing this radiation, they re-emit this radiation in different direction. It's just like the light hitting on a prism and splitting into seven different colors. That's kind of basically what it means. It kind of scatters the radiation across when it hits or goes past something. And your reflection, I think, is pretty self-explanatory in terms of the arriving energy that bounces directly into space without being absorbed or doing any work. Absorption is the assimilation of radiation by molecules of matter and its conversion from one form of energy to another. I think this is pretty self-explanatory. It's like, once again, like a sponge. You know, it's uh, instead of water that it's filling itself up with, it's filling itself with insulation, with this solar radiation. And it's converting it from one form to another. Just like your solar panels, it is absorbing the solar radiation and it is turning it into electrical energy or something else. And we get uh, conduction and convection, which are your non-radiative transfers. Your conduction is the molecule-to-molecule transfer of heat energy as it diffuses through a substance. I think this is also pretty self-explanatory in terms of understanding the conduction of heat and materials through, uh, you know, physics stuff. Your convection is also defined as energy transferred through gases and liquids by movements that occur when physical mixing involving a strong vertical motion. And it's very difficult uh, when you bring in, you know, very formal dictionary definitions. But it's basically like a cycle where you have your heat that is distributed in from a, in, in the standpoint of a cycle, really. It is, it's going to rise up. It's going to cool when it, once it rises up. And when it cools, it's going to go back down. And it's going to go back up again. It's going to go back down. It's a whole cycle of its own. And this convection cycles we're going to explore more in the next Holy Trinity Winds, where wind convections are one of the most important concepts you ever need to know to understand you know, uh, anything that's happening on Earth right now. So now that we know how insulation is spread through scattering, absorption, convection, uh, conduction, as well as... What was that fancy thing I talked about just now? Uh, yeah, it's convection and conduction. There are a lot of other stuff too, but I'm not going to go too much into that. I'm now going to go into two important factors that affect insulation. One is the solar angle that I did um, kind of briefly mention as well, as well as this fancy, fancy word called the albedo. So firstly, let's go into understanding the solar angle. Your solar angle... Mm, let's see how do I kind of explain this so I'm sure we all do understand that we live on a earth that uses this system of a latitude and a longitude your solar angle basically is what created your latitude on earth actually it is the angle of incidence from the sun 
onto the surface of the earth so when there is a low angle of incidence that's when your insulation is traveling a very long distance to hit to a point that's very far off from uh, the original position and that's where you get the poles at the poles the solar angle is low and at the equator the solar angle it is the highest basically you can take it as it's a right angle it's a right angle in terms of the insulation hitting the earth because it is of such a short distance we always talk about the shortest distance to anything is directly perpendicular to it you know mad stuff and that's basically the equator to it and this solar angle is obviously the most important factor in understanding the distribution of insulation because this angle talks about how much insulation can even reach there in the first place. If it's in such a short distance, obviously most amount of insulation would want to go there. And if it's very far away, not a lot of insulation want to go there, except for, you know, like the fit ones have done marathons. And then, that, uh, yeah, that's that for the solar angle. And I'm going to talk about this uh, fancy... Thing called the albedo it is also a factor that affects insulation and the albedo is basically the ratio between the total insulation reaching a surface and the amount reflected from the surface itself so basically you can think about it as the reflective the reflectivity of a surface for example when you shine light on a surface that is lighter in color you can think of it as the same as people always tell you to wear white or lighter clothes during summer because the sun reflects off the white and you know you're gonna feel cooler compared to when you wear black where it's the heat is gonna get trapped and you know it's gonna you're gonna feel very hot and you're gonna hate it it's the same thing the albedo is the reflectivity of the surface based on the color as well as the texture those are that's the only thing that makes it different from the different clothes that you have to wear in terms of feeling cooler and warmer so the albedo is important because if you think about it some of the coldest places on earth the north pole and the antarctica we always think about snow and what color is snow it's white and obviously that is one of the biggest reasons why it remains cold because it is white is able to reflect the most amount of insulation that reaches it and water is actually also quite reflective honestly and the texture of snow is much softer than the texture of you know um let's say rocks that those type of very dark charcoal rocks that you see and that also affects the amount of sunlight that's being bounced off i feel like i'm not really doing a good job over here trying to explain this to you but um just you have an idea the because the albedo is a ratio so the closer it is to one is the higher the the albedo and the closer it is to zero the lower the albedo snow and ice has an albedo of 0.45 to 0.85 basically it means 
or up to 85% of the insulation that hits ice is reflected back into the atmosphere. Now that is really powerful and if you think about it, that definitely affects the insulation that you receive. Because if you're walking in a place that is completely white, you're not going to feel as hot and sweaty and disgusting as compared to walking in a place that's very dark and has the same amount of sunlight. So basically that is also you know a important factor in terms of understanding how insulation works. Now finally I want to hit on terms of now that you know that albedo solar angle they affect the amount of solar radiation that earth gets at different places. And once again we go back into the theory of understanding. We always talk about the fact that the equator it is the shortest distance to earth. And you know, self-explanatory, you can talk, you talk using the solar angle. It is the shortest distance, it's perpendicular to a solar angle. Basically, it has zero angle of incidence. And uh, albedo, in terms of albedo, you can talk about the fact that at the equator, we always think about tropical fruits. We, talk, uh, we think about palm trees, we think about forests and forests and palm trees they have a albedo of 0.03 which means only 3% of the sunlight that they get is reflected back so obviously it absorbs a lot of sunlight it is a very very hot area and basically it does align with the theory that most amount of insulation is at the equator and everything seems to work out fine until you realize that you know, the world is a very special place. Everything that works in theory doesn't mean it works out in real life. And that's because there are always some factors, some things that we miss out in terms of calculating and understanding what is happening. So, the insulation is definitely the most concentrated at the equator, but that doesn't mean it is the hottest point on Earth. If you think about the band, like, you know, rings around the Saturn, the band around the Earth, it is very different uh, for, in terms of trying to understand the real life understanding of certain things. Okay, sorry for the weird cut, but so once again, we're talking about the fact that the most amount of insulation is at the equator, but that doesn't mean it is the hottest point on Earth. The hottest point on Earth, you can think, uh, it's called the subsolar point. Basically, that's where the mo- the highest temperatures are recorded. You know, in this particular band, in this particular latitude, which is like a ring around, not around the Earth, but it it is not the hottest point. And we can, uh, in order to understand that, we can once again go back to the things that we have talked about today. One, the Milankovitch cycle that talks about the fact that there's a wobble. Uh, there is a wobble around the axis, there's a wobble with the axis, there's a wobble around the earth going around the sun, and that affects the seasonality itself of 
the earth and that also affects in terms of where the most hottest point on earth lies and we can also go back to the very important orbital axis you know the orbital pathway that earth takes around the sun the fact that it is uh, there's the solstices where there's more insulation in the northern hemisphere than the southern hemisphere or more insulation in the southern hemisphere than the northern hemisphere then you realize if there is already this mismatch of insulation it affects your energy budget and when it affects your energy budget it also affects the point where the most amount of temperature is recorded and this creates a very beautiful and unlikely phenomenon called the intertropical convergence zone ITCZ and also the creation of a tricellular model these are two things we're going to go in depth into into our second holy trinity of understanding the winds and so far i hope i have not confused you bored you made you want to hate me and everything this is all they have to say about you know energy and energy budget i just want you to think about the world that you live in right now and think about the fact that even the sunlight that you got do you know that you get whenever you go outside it uh, it goes through a lot to get to you honestly and the things around you you know they're not there for fun so they affect the way that you feel too the color of it the texture of it and you know the world that you live in it's a it's an ever changing place it was very different you know years and years ago we're going to talk about that next week and um i hope you learned something today i hope you enjoyed this entire talk about energy space a little bit of you know a uh, name dropping of stars um so thank you for listening I want you to, you can also check out my Instagram at vanillian dynamics uh, 2s and underscore the back. Uh you can check out my WhatsApp at it's me vanilla with only one e and my blogspot uh at it's me vanilla.blogspot.com. I hope you've learned something today. I hope you liked it. And if there's any feedback, if there's anything that you're confused about, or you want me to cite readings and references, which I'm going to do soon as I cover more and more stuff, uh, definitely let me know. And I hope you had fun. Until next time, bye bye.